Let's talk about music. So I am here with my dad. Gave Chad the day the day off. He's I think he's out. Do you know what he's doing today? I think he might be at the bar. <laughs> he's at the bar. That's unlike Chad. It's it's eight below, and he's working on a deck. Outside. He's working on a deck. Wondering why he didn't do this in September. Yep, that that's what sounds about like. Yeah, that sounds like Chad, and he's been working probably because I took him to do ranch stuff in September. <laughs> his his uh, the way that he schedules his life has always been a little backwards. But what? Who am I to say anything about it? <laughs> so anyway, but he. I want to talk to you, Dad, because this week's column is all about music and specifically about a song that for and a and a musician that for some reason has always haunted my childhood. So there's some musicians that I feel when people are asking me what my um, musical influence is, Lyle Lovett is one of them because of his folk musicianship and his storytelling songs. And then Harry Chapin is one of them. So even as a little kid, I was aware of this Harry Chapin character. And I grew up, and people know this, but that's how I became you know, so interested in music was the songs that you were listening to and playing. Um, from your record player in the olden days and tape players in the pickup and van and things. Um, I just was so drawn to music that tells a story. And so the reason I think I'm sitting here today and even a columnist and a storyteller is because of these these writers and singers that are so just create these haunting and beautiful characters in their music. And so I had one of my own experiences in my life that felt like a song. And I wrote about it in this week's column. And it reminded me of a Harry Chapin song, which is just so connected to growing up in music with you. And the song is Mr. Tanner. And um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like your musical influence, wh- how you know. So H- Mr. Tanner, Harry Chapin, is a, what is he, 1970s, 80s folk musician. Mm-hmm. That was kind of his era. Yeah. What are his big songs that? Well, Cats in the Cradle and Taxi were his. Okay. Oh, Cats in the Cradle. I forgot about that. They're the two that people would know about with Harry Chapin. Okay. Yeah. So he, that just there gives you a snapshot. Everyone knows Cats in the Cradle, but not everyone would know this Mr. Tanner song. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm maybe going to give you, so in the column I describe the song, but maybe I'm going to give you the chance to talk about Mr. Tanner because it's such a, it's such a character piece and such a, the, epitome of what a folk song is to me well you know I uh, it's hard for me to I guess when you hear something like this you feel like you've you've found a treasure and it's like a good book Mm -hmm. and you get into the book and you go my gosh I can't believe that this person could tell this story in three or four minutes Harry Chapin his songs were longer than three minutes Mm -hmm. and they weren't radio ready songs right but they he was um he was a poet and a storyteller, and and even he recognized that that was his albums were even called the greatest his, his the greatest stories ever told was one of his albums. Oh, really? So he took great passion in uh, in telling the stories, mm-hmm. you know. And it moved on later on in my life. Guys like Guy Clark mm-hmm. were that way too, who could tell a story and have music with it, and it would stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Tanner was one of those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, he went into this life of this man who just lived a, a, 
a life of he was of all the cleaning shops around. He'd made his the best. He was a dry cleaning employee, like cleaning, owner. Owned, owned a dry cleaning shop in Dayton, Ohio. In Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> and it was Dayton, Ohio. Was it was uh, was I think when Harry Chapin wrote that song and he introduced it in one of his concerts, he said, "Dayton, Ohio." He said, "He said I spent a week there one night." <laughs> I remember you saying so, that. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a nondescript place and a right. nondescript man who who wanted to do his job the best he could, mm-hmm. but he also had a beautiful voice. So mm-hmm. at night, he would sing his songs. Mm-hmm. And people would hear him singing these songs, and they'd say, you know, Mr. Tanner, you need to do something with your music. You've had this happen to you before. Oh, yeah. You know, you're a, you've been a musician for many, many years, singing to thousands and thousands of people, and people will tell you, you should do something with your music. No. <laughs> or, so what is that yeah, thing that you're supposed to do with and it? And also there's a little bit of that you're letting people down with what you've chosen to do with your talent. Right. So I resonate with that so much in the story of Mr. Tanner because it's like, well, you are so good. Like, what are you doing here? Right. And you've had that. Yeah. And I've had that. Yeah. And yet I remember you and I having the conversation years ago was, you know, this fame and fortune thing um, – it probably destroys more people than it makes mm-hmm. because they forget why they're doing music. Right. And they're doing it. So what happens with these record deals and these producers is they take you, they take Jesse, and they say, you're really good, but we'd like you to be this way. Right. Because this will sell. So Harry Chapin never did that. Right. He, uh, If you ever follow him, uh, and, and I just saw a documentary on him earlier this year, he frustrated his producers and his record label so bad because he would not, uh, he would not commercialize, mm-hmm. and he didn't. In his band and stuff, he was broke almost all the time. He gave all of his money away. I don't know if you know this, but almost every concert he had, the proceeds all went to World Hunger, and this That's was right. in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going to one of his concerts, and he had to bring a can of beans or a can of whatever. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. You did go to one of his concerts. Oh, yeah. I want mm-hmm. you to talk about yep. that yep. in a minute. But yeah, so he was really the epitome of a folk musician, like yep. putting his money where his yep. mouth was. <laughs> and and that documentary was pretty obviously about uh, how his band, they, they never, they didn't know if they're going to get paid. Oh my gosh. And his family always, because he would just give it all away. He was an impassioned Charitable person. And- but he could write a story. And so it would be like your columns. Mm-hmm. He starts the story of this little man that everybody identifies with. His friends convince him, you should try this out. He, he, he goes out and, and, and rents a concert hall and does the press. And he has, then they tell the story of how the, the concert just went through and it was just a blur to him. And he did all his music and he was so uh, passionate about it. And it was done. It was kind of silence in the song. And then the reviews came out. And uh, he lacked the tone and clarity to make a perfectly acceptable performance and full-time consideration of, of another, another endeavor, endeavor might be, be in order. order. <laughs> and then he goes back to Dayton mm-hmm. and he never sings again, mm-hmm. excepting very late at night when the, when the shop is dark and closed. Mm-hmm. He sings softly to himself as he's hanging up his clothes. And isn't that the end? Yeah. And it just gives me chills to say it And today. then in the background. Then they have, Oh holy night! Uh, um, his yeah. bear, t- one of his band yeah. members mm-hmm. singing "Oh holy night" as if being Mr. Tanner. Yep. So it has that whole kind of. And then when you're thinking about now, I just kind of related it, Mr. Tanner's so- story to perhaps Harry Chapin's story. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it was a little bit of his story yes. too. Mm-hmm. I never really thought of that, knowing his backstory. He also had a story. He, you know, get me on Harry Chapin because because <laughs> he wasn't people. It, it was kind of like John Prine. 
Mm. That during the time you thought you were the only one that knew about him. Right. Well, then later on you realize that hundreds of thousands of people were listening to him, but right. at the time they didn't know so much. But he had a song called "A Better Place to Be." Also, you oh. remember that song? And um, that's about an early morning diner, and the place just opened up. Little man came. He started at his cup, and the broad who served her the whiskey was a big old healthy girl. <laughs> tried to f- fight her empty nights by smiling at the world. Oh, wow. I and she said, hey, bub, it's been a while since you've been around. Where the hell you been hiding and why you been so down? Then he tells a story because he's, he, he's I, I'm the midnight watchman oh, that's, down at Miller's yes. Tool and Die. And I watched the metal rusting and I watched the time go by. I know the song when you said midnight watchman. We could watchman. go at the diner, yep. stop mm-hmm. to get a bite. And there's your lovely lady, two seats from her right. Hmm. So he, he help, develops a conversation with her hmm. and she comes home with him. Mm. And um, and he's just this little man who's never had a relationship with this beautiful woman, <laughs> um, and and he says, "Would you like to come home with me?" She says, "Well, I've been so lonely, and any place, anywhere is a better place to be." Hmm. So she comes home with them. They have a relationship. She leaves. He goes out to get a sack of uh, food for them. And comes back. She's gone. Hmm. And um, so he's he's sitting there talking to this waitress, this fat waitress who wipe, takes her bar rag and wipes the tears from her eyes. And, mm. and then as that song closes, she says, would you like to come home with me? And he said, yeah, any, any place is a better. I've been all so lonely and anywhere is a better place to be. Hmm. So, so you've, you've had a whole in movie yeah, in, in three, three minute minutes. Song. The humanity in it and the, the small like moments of people's lives where you could go into a coffee mm-hmm. shop. And I think that's kind of what I've always pursued in my own storytelling. Not that I'm comparing myself to someone like him, but that you could look at characters and, and create a whole backstory for them mm-hmm. and, and a compassionate one and one where they have these full and rich experiences or heartbreaking experiences. And I remember listening to songs like that yeah. as a little kid and being like, heartbroken and visualizing what they look like or yep. you know thinking about um the waltz and fool song of yes. why i love it that was one everybody of the, knows that guy dancing yeah. out on the floor at night the and guy the, who drinks too much mm-hmm. and is in his overshoes and yep. stays too long at the bar yep. and i'm you know seven year old kid having yep. compassion for this this drunk guy in a yep. in a folk song and i don't know why it, that resonated with me so much um, but I think there it might be the product of being a daughter of two social workers well, yeah. potentially. Yeah, and you're, and you're, <laughs> yeah. Well, your artists are that way. They, I suppose, they, but yeah. they, they take the simple and make a story out of it. You do a really good job of that. Taking a simple day mm-hmm. and telling the story about why that day was special to you. I think of songwriters like Guy Clark, who became another influence of me, mine, which I didn't realize everybody else was influencing too. Mm-hmm. But he has he has two songs that uh, that really hit me. One's called the Randall Knife. Okay. And if anybody any songwriters know about the Randall Knife, but it was about him and his dad. Mm-hmm. And his dad had a Randall Knife, and his mother get if he came back to the war, his mother gave his dad this Randall Knife, and the kid just worshipped and looked at this knife and loved it. And his dad let him take it to Boy Scout camp, mm-hmm. and he. Uh, he threw it and broke the tip off in a tree. Mm-hmm. And his dad just took the knife home without a hard word one, put it in his drawer, and nothing was said about it. Mm-hmm. So then as he goes throughout his life, and this guy lived a life, he's an, an attorney, his dad was, 
and the son went on his life and did his things. And then when his dad passed, um, and he didn't want the law books, he didn't want the house. All he wanted was a Randall knife. Hmm. And uh, and uh, the story of him and his relationship with his dad, who because the Randall knife, it's 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 a well made. Uh, everybody knows that that's one of the best knives out there mm. and it meant a lot to his dad and the kid wrecked it mm-hmm. but his dad never judged him for it that and just says so much about and so much it's a great story it's a great story and probably everyone's had a moment like that oh yeah where they've maybe not thought about it that way or there's a, a possession or some sort of relationship built upon this thing or this mistake that they've made yeah. and to humanize that so well and to capture that so and well. to be able to do it in three minutes, I think a guy Clark also does, uh, he does, yeah, he does almost all story songs, mm-hmm. almost all story. So there's not a few love songs in there, but there's almost all story songs. So every one of them, mm-hmm. you get this story. Desperado's waiting for a train yeah, is a story a of him and his, about his, de- his mother's boyfriend who took him down to the bar, the Green Frog Cafe, <laughs> and they, and he learned about life through this old guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, then he has, he has a song called "Let Him Roll," which is the first song I ever one. heard Guy yeah. Clark do. And that's, you know, um, that's a story about a guy, just a broken man who lives in a, you know, in exchange for a rent. He, he's old years before his time. No thanks to the world and the white port wine. <laughs> so he was an elevator man in a cheap hotel in exchange for the rent on a one-room sale. <laughs> you know. That's his life. Yeah. But the story was he met this prostitute and fell in love with her. There's a whore in Dallas is what mm-hmm. her name. Um, Alice. Alice. No, her name was <laughs> right. Alice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, he, and he, he wanted her to stay with him, and she turned his last proposal down in favor of being a girl about town. <laughs> so then he lived his whole, he spent his whole life riding the line. He ain't been straight none of the time. Too many days of fighting weather, too many nights about not being together. Mm-hmm. So he died. Yeah. When they went through his personal effects in amongst the, the stubs and the welfare checks was a crumbling picture of a girl in the door and a dress in Dallas. <laughs> and then at the end, you know, the welfare people provided the priest, a couple from Mission, down the street sang Amazing Grace, but no one cried except a lady in black way off of the side. An old one-eyed John said her name was Alice. She used to be a, a whore, whore in, in Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Okay, oh, you took this from the beginning to the end in three minutes. And could you just make a motion picture out of it? <laughs> oh, oh, man. So this is, and I don't, I get, you know how I am. Yeah. I've never lost my passion for those kinds of stories. No. So incredible. then when you have the music today and whether it's, whatever it is, whether it's hip hop or whether it's bro country or, mm-hmm. um, the challenge I have with it is that people are writing that music to make money. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality of the music business. Mm-hmm. But, those songs were never commercialized. Right. They they were probably never even made them any real money. But now don't you feel like because we have more access to music, I feel, you know, I grew up with Guy Clark and Harry Chapin and Lyle Lovett and, you know, all of this string of musicians mm-hmm. that you said now we learn have kind of worked together and mm-hmm. been inspired yeah. by each other. I feel like they're, John Prine is one of mm-hmm. them, right? I was the only kid that knew John Prine. And you would have been at that time. I yeah. didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I was singing his songs and I didn't know, who, you know, I just, that was John Prine. I grew up with him. No one around me knew who he was. But now at the end of his life, and he died this in 2020, yeah. right? Or this last year, a couple years, he is immortalized. There's so much that we know now that people were, were admiring him, being influenced by him. Like we're being able 
to share his music more and be connected to him more. So these older musicians and Nancy Griffith is one mm-hmm. of them. You're realizing how much influence they've had on current music and songwriters that maybe we didn't realize when we were. Yeah, and I, you know, it's not unlike writers mm-hmm. that some of the best, you know, Steinbeck and all those, right. you know, they were just writers and nobody paid. If they're good enough, th- then fifty years later, yeah. people went, "Oh, that was Gonna phenomenal." Find them. But they probably couldn't even pay the rent. Right. With the, yeah. So that's the world of music, and people have enough integrity to continue to write uh, w- without the hope of ever becoming the greatest Nashville star. I would say that the state of music right now, right, if you're willing to work at it, mm-hmm. um, and you and I trade music all the time, and and there's so phenomenal many. songwriters yeah. out there that now through this mode that we're on right now are getting heard. They're getting ears. They're not making money. Right. But their story well, is getting harder told. harder than hell to make money as a mm-hmm. musician. Harder than it's ever been. Right. Because never been this the hard. way that you make money is selling these, you know, selling your product well, everything's free now. But them going on the road, it's easier to be organically um, and you're without a record label, but mm-hmm. fan driven yeah. success, but you work your ass off for it. Yeah. And you can be, you can be more true to, true what, to who you the, what you want to say because and, people can find you. Right. And exactly. then they can say, Ooh, this, this song relates. I relate. It's about, you know, living in Oklahoma. This is exactly yeah. what it's like. I know this guy and share it and share it. And it can kind of go off on its own without the help of a record label. You sent me that. Was it David Ramirez or Ramirez? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I would. I don't know where you found that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but he had one song. Yeah. And between a rock and a hard place. Yes, so good. And and you sent it to me, and within three seconds, I went, "This is a phenomenal song." Right. And it, it's at the same level as a Guy Clark right. or a Harry Chapin song. And They're we still can out find there. them. Mm-hmm. And then they can have, and I found him because mm-hmm. of the way, so you can curse the way the music industry is in a way because you have iTunes and, and then you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. So, but you can, and it makes it harder to sell individual songs and make money. However, I can record a song and Zach Bryan is an example. Mm-hmm. He can record a song tonight and it can be out on that platform tomorrow. So you can listen to these musicians in real time and feel like they're your guys. Um, and then it gets on these playlists. And so I'm curating the music that I want to listen to mm-hmm. by saying I like this and I like this. And I would have never found him or another way. Like the way I could find music when I was listening and honing my craft was hopefully I heard something on the radio mm-hmm. or you're just shuffling through any kind of albums that got a, you know, these musicians that got a record deal. Now we're not there's not a wall between us and the musicians. And I think that's pretty exciting. I've found more great music in the last three years of being on Apple or Spotify because it's curated for me. Yeah. And if you're thinking the world of music is gone backwards, it has not. No. What has happened though, is the, the corporization of music Mm -hmm. has changed and they can't just take anybody and make millions of dollars off them. So it's harder to make a living, but the stories are just as good or probably better. Or, better. or also, they uh, musicians don't need a rec- record label or right. record they, exec they because they're there. doing it themselves. And so now their record labels are kind of like, well, I need you to have 
three million followers first. And it's like, well, then why do I need you? So that's very interesting. Just as there's no way to sell that song. Right. At at one cents a cut or whatever that is. However, or who can't, some of these musicians can't afford to get in a studio with, Mm -hmm. you know, the best musicians. So they are, they're figuring out how to do it themselves. So you can love it or hate it depending upon what side of the industry you're on. But I think we're all adapting to it. Bottom line is, I've always said this. I don't care. It's about the storytelling for me. If you're true, and it always has been yeah. with you. No. It, it, and but but I go back to what we said earlier, is you, you know you've had a, you know you've had a successful music career. And this is coming from your dad. <laughs> I need like six other jobs. <laughs> but 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 yeah. But you're still the only person. Yeah. I've had a few in my life, but you're the only person that I know that makes a living. Yeah, I do. Doing art and music. Yep. And um, so. And that's really all I ever wanted. Yeah. You know, we were talking about saying our prayers before we got on here because Edie's we've been learning to say our prayers to help ease anxiety when I was a kid and I remember this clearly I was probably like her age seven eight nine thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up and I knew I loved music I knew I loved singing and I remember praying I just want to have it in my life I don't need to be famous I just need some people to hear it isn't that a weird prayer to so have when you're at, I guess. <laughs> that's a Mr. Tanner. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just want to do it for, because I love it and I want somehow for it to support me. But being a little kid, having that kind of wish, like, I didn't really want, I've said this before, I didn't want to be Reba McIntyre, you know, yeah. although I loved her. I just wanted to sing and have some ears on it. And I guess, you know, if you're living out your manifestation at eight years old, I suppose I'm doing that. Um, but... There's so much to, there's so many stories to tell. And I was just in Stanley, little Stanley, North Dakota, with my book, Prairie Princess, reading it to first, second, and third graders in a gymnasium in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. And the point of me reading the book, the book is all about a little kid showing, you know, a little girl showing um, everyone or someone around the place that she loves. But the point with, that presentation is always that we share and read stories and to learn about each other and to have compassion. And that's kind of where it fell for me in this, these, this music, like uh, Mr. Tanner, there's compassion in that story and you can empathize and you can have this kind of moment of, of being in this different life. And so why I wrote about it was because I had my own Mr. Tanner experience in our own little town of Watford City. In my other part of my life, I curate um, music events, a concert series, and we and I was in the middle of, of doing that in our high school auditorium, beautiful stage, new high school, um, and we had a pianist come in. He's from, well, he lives in Las Vegas, but he's called the Pianist to the Presidents, and he's played all over the world. He's fantastic. Um, played for every president since Ronald Reagan. Because people might... They uh, need to look him up. They might look him up. So David Osborne Mm -hmm. is his name. So he's played the White House 75 times for every president since Ronald Reagan. And he's now in Watford City. And he's in Watford City. So the level of my anxiety, nothing was going right with his visit. We've had him booked for a year, and, and it just wasn't going well for me. You want it all to fall in place. You have this caliber of musician in Watford City... I don't think people really realize what art caliber of artists we can get. And I just didn't have, it just wasn't coming together. He was gracious. He played the show. We didn't have 
we had a good turnout, but it wasn't a great turnout. And I was like, just disappointed in the way I, we were handling his visit, not in his performance. He was incredible and gracious and he did the job that he came to do and he was happy with it. And I, when we were all happy with it in the end, but I was frazzled. Could you imagine me <laughs> being frazzled? I don't get stressed. Should have been your middle name. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> and anyway, so we have this big, beautiful high school. Everyone left. I said goodbye to him. He went to his hotel. Everyone had went out into the night and the cold night. And I just stayed behind and was tidying up and making sure everything was, was, um, picked up and ready to whatever the way you do always the last one to leave. Like my daughters say. And then from the hallway, there was this mariachi music coming out of like small speakers. And then this big, beautiful voice just echoing through the hallway, singing along to the music. And I just stopped in my tracks and like almost made me cry because it was just one of those moments where you're in your head and you're disappointed, you're having your own issue. And, and, it, and the fact that this man was singing, uh, a custodian, 10 p.m., thought he was alone, singing at the top of his lungs. I just wanted to stand there and listen to it. And then it also kind of humbled me like, yeah, like this guy is singing like Mr. Tanner to sing. That's why, that's the only reason he's doing it. Not to play Carnegie Hall, not to be on YouTube, not to impress anybody, but because it makes him the work easier, right? It makes him feel good. And then I was like, well, I don't want to emerge from around the corner because I don't want him to stop. Of course, I had to. And then he immediately felt embarrassed and shut it down and realized he wasn't alone. And I was like, well, what a gift this guy gave me at that moment. Reminds me why we do this, why music is so absolutely imperative in my existence and in our world. And for that person, that just propels him through this job. And it was like, oh, the next shift has begun. And this man is like, I would have never heard him otherwise. And he's just singing to sing. And he was fantastic. And so then I couldn't get it out of my head. And then I was like, well, it's Mr. Tanner. It's totally Mr. Tanner. But I didn't tell him he needed to do something with it, right? Yeah. I just said, please keep Thank singing. You. Thank you. Don't let me stop you from doing it. So. Can I tell you the comed- comedy version of Mr. Tanner? <laughs> yeah. From your neighbor to the north, Kelly? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he tells a story about they have heavy Badlands. <clears throat> and he had a three-wheeler. This was one a long time ago. And he was driving through the Badlands. And, and, a, and fall day was beautiful. Kelly was? Kelly okay, was. Okay, your neighbor. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and... He was going up and down, and he was and he was singing at the top of his lungs, whatever song it was. And he rode over the hill, and two other neighbors, a husband and a wife, were on horseback. Oh, no. And he rode up to them. <laughs> he said it was one of the most uncomfortable things he's ever done in his life. <laughs> and you know him, and you know I know these other neighbors like, are he's like. So- they said, "Yeah, we could hear you coming for a month." <laughs> <laughs> Over the engine of the three-wheeler? Yeah, the three-wheeler. <laughs> In the silence of the Badlands. <laughs> what, yes. Singing what for was, the joy of music. Yeah. What was, and that's the thing. You know, though, that's such a he good... He could tell you what song he was singing, song but I, I can't singing. remember. But that's also just a really good point about me, about me kind of grasping um, 
being confident in, in performing too, because we have all of this wide open space. And I never felt like, I always felt like I could go out after I got home on the bus and do what Kelly mm-hmm. did, sing at the top yeah. of your lungs, yeah. totally uninhibited. No one but your little sister who's following you is going to find you and ridicule you, right? So you have to have those spaces. A lot of times it's in people's cars or showers or whatever, where you can totally just sing it to sing it. And I had someone uh, email me after reading the column because, of course, this goes out in the paper before I read it here. And she said that very thing to me. Like, I read your column. I think she knows Harry Chapin and was Mm -hmm. finding that interesting. But also, like, I, it reminded me that I love to sing, and I just love to sing to sing. I'm not very good at it. I haven't done it in years because, you you know, when you're a little kid, you're uninhibited. But as you get older, you become inhibited because that's what we do to ourselves um, and each other. She said, now I'm singing again. I'm turning it up in the car, and you just reminded me it's something that I want to do. And what a great thing to hear, I guess. And it reminded me that day, that night, like, okay, this was hard. Some days I didn't, don't feel like it's worth it. That day, I shouldn't say some days I don't feel like it's worth it. I always feel like it's worth it. Even when we have really shitty gigs where there's like four people and we do. Um, and I've had plenty of them, but at the end of it, I can't say, I can't really recall a time where I've come out of it. Even if there's three people in the crowd where someone just hasn't appreciated it, even if it's the person that hired you, right? Like you're there, you're doing it. And that's something, that's something. Well, the key to it is monetizing it. Yeah. You know, we, we saw Chris Stapleton a month ago, mm-hmm. whatever, who's a phenomenal songwriter. Right. Okay? And he stood on this big stage with thousands of people. And what he said was, it's just hard to believe that I, that, you know, 20 years ago yeah. I was playing in a bar that was the size of this stage. And he's been and doing was, it for so long. Two people. Yeah. And then he he wrote, but but he's been doing it for thirty or yeah. forty years. But he also never forgot. He has his wife with him mm-hmm. all the time. He never f- forgot the joy of being able to do music, mm-hmm. and his popularity now has allowed him to write songs that aren't quite as commercial. Right. And he owns them, and he can promote them. And now people say, Chris Stapleton wrote it, so it must then be it good. has value. So with yeah. music, people have to be told, I guess. Yeah. You're gonna really like this, right. or and we don't find people who actually search out music. Uh, our part of the country is kind of bad for this. Mm-hmm. I'm not being critical, but no, I I was just. It's hard to bring somebody in, like mm-hmm. like probably a world-renowned pianist. Like they're not gonna and, go, and, and people do don't know them, so they won't give them a try. Or like they don't think they can sit through a piano. And that's why your concert series is so good. You know, I've, I've gone to these things that I wouldn't probably normally mm-hmm. go to listen to maybe like you wouldn't buy a ticket mm-hmm. in Minneapolis for it, but right. we're bringing it to Watford and that's and you get goal. down with it and go and so you're introduced to these kinds right. of music and they're, they're phenomenal and I've seen it so this is why it's so gratifying to be on the other side of it too so yeah I get booked as a performer but I I book as mm-hmm. well for a community and I've seen that in in full display where a community member an older guy rancher came to I think it was an acapella show or some um something that you probably he probably would is was drugged to right mm-hmm. maybe his wife yeah. said you're coming with mm-hmm. me I have these tickets and yeah. you're coming with and um he I saw him after the show talk to the performers and he was crying mm-hmm. he was moved 
absolutely moved to tears by what he encountered. And he said, and he said, I wasn't going to come tonight. I didn't think I was going to like it. I can't tell you how important this experience has been to me. Really? And I was got to witness that. I didn't say anything. I just kind of witnessed it. And I was like, well, then that's exactly why we're doing this. That's why, and he'll remember it forever. Mm-hmm. And that performer probably will too, that feedback of this unconventional audience member that really loved what he experienced. So I think there, there's room now and it feels like there's more space for all sorts of music to hit our ears and we don't have to be as... And I think younger people too don't feel like they need to be as compartmentalized by like, I, I'm defined by the fact that I listen to country or I'm defined mm-hmm. by the fact that I listen to pop music top. I think we're kind of busting open the doors on that genre wise. Yeah. But what always comes through and we're seeing it is just what's really not, I shouldn't say what I feel like comes through <laughs> now more than ever is if it's good, it, it resonates. And doesn't matter what type right, of music it it's is. It's good. And it's not always hap- doesn't always happen to appear on the radio, but who am I to say it? This is just my opinion, <laughs> but you can have access to it. So I think that's kind of encouraging. But I'm someone who has just had music in my life forever. But I always think it's kind of interesting to learn like how, because you were, you're a musician in the seven, you had bands your whole life. So you were playing music in bands since you were a teenager driving mm-hmm. around. And how you got your it's 50, hand, 50 years. 50 years. Over 50 years I've been days. doing music. <laughs> well, I've been doing it with you for, th- you know, yeah. almost 30. So how did you get your hands on the music that you, how did you find Harry Chapin yeah. as a guy in the middle of nowhere? Literally, like where did you get a record of him? That, that, I was going to talk about that earlier because I, I recall that when I started playing guitar, you had the radio. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember Padres Platters, and people from North Dakota would know this. Is that a like, radio yeah, show? Yeah, KFYR Padre. had Padres Platters. <laughs> no, and he played records um, at, after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, and you'd sit in your room and listen to Padres Platters. And that's how, that's how you got introduced to the rock and roll music at the time. Uh-huh. And that was probably at the time when it would have been, it was, it was rock music, like, like the animals or... Mm-hmm maybe uh I don't, I don't i don't know any of those early 60s bands okay be. so that's how i'd first listen but we didn't have we didn't really, we had a record player i think my mom had five or six lps and i remember they were like and i now i know how influenced i was they were like ray price oh yeah. and um i remember um um williams um not don williams mm-hmm. Andy Williams. Oh, yeah. And um, there were albums that somebody had given her. Mm-hmm. And they were, I just, they weren't, this was in the 60s where everybody was listening to Woodstock type music, but this is the only music I had. Right. But it gave me a really good foundation for what was, what was good music at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but anyway, I remember I learned guitar. I would go to Sunday school, and this was during the late 60s and early 70s where the folk uh, Christian. Mm-hmm. kind of people were coming to Jesus and they were hippies and all that stuff. So okay. they had these song books that were kind of folky, introducing that to kids in in, uh, in church. And they had a, um, a song book at the end of the lesson and it had some kind of folky song and the chords, chords were written or, above. Okay. And I didn't know how to read music, mm-hmm. but I could I could shape these chords and strum it and sing the song like I thought it, it should, should sound. sound. Yeah. And that's how I learned to play. 
and that's pretty much how I learned. To play I didn't even learn. How, I didn't know how to tune my guitar. I didn't. We, yeah. I went to the piano and hit a key to oh, tune my guitar. Okay. Yeah. But you also had songbooks. Mm-hmm. So if if I could get a songbook, like a, at the time I maybe country hits of the time. Oh yeah. Or um or they would sell songbooks, mm-hmm. and that's how I learned to play. Okay. Nobody taught me and. Right. And you just and I, felt and like 50 you, years later, I still go, God, when am I going to get good at this? That's what I say about I playing guitar since I was 12. Like, I'm just playing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a, it's a good, vehicle for me. Good to musicians write. look at me and go, God, <laughs> So I'm not a guitar play this? player. <laughs> I am a writer and a singer. I'm not a guitar player. It's just a vehicle. But that's, but did you have, you didn't have anyone in your household that really played guitar to teach you. But you got your guitar from your uncle. Yeah. Or, my first guitar my brother and I bought together. It was a oh, Sears guitar. Yeah. Oh. And he, he didn't, he, I, I probably just took it from him. I'm not sure, <laughs> but, but it was a Stella guitar. I remember it was just okay. a cheap guitar and that's my first one. Okay. Then my uncle gave me a real guitar okay. and he was a good singer. His, mm-hmm. his name was Roland. Okay. And, uh, he was a, had a great voice and he would sing and I idolized that. So, mm-hmm. but he got me a Martin guitar when I was wow. in high school. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so then when you started, you started a band in high school. How old were you? Started the band. I think I was fourteen, maybe. Okay. Yeah, and we played. We played. We were the. We were the. You, they talk had of the a town at the time. We thought we Cherry were really Creek. something. Yeah. Cherry and we Creek. were horrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had our, We toured all over the. We toured all over the, you know, three state area. Um, usually, hundred hundred fifty miles mm-hmm. from home. Stayed overnight in our bus. Yeah. We played a lot of proms and a lot of uh, high school dances and. Mm-hmm. But I do remember thinking back of being ahead of our time because we played we played uh, Deep Purple and we played right. Rolling Stones. But I also had uh, Buck Owens mm-hmm. and I played uh, I played um, uh, Waylon Jennings. I pl- and I remember my bandmates kind of going, "God, why are we doing this?" But listening back to it, yeah, those were my influences, and the crowds liked it. Right, and they're still they were trying popular. to be too cool for school. Right. But then looking back on it, then in the 60s and 70s, that's what the Flying Burrito Brothers were doing. Mm-hmm. That's what the band was doing. That's what uh, Creedence Clearwater, they were all had these country influences. Right? Yeah. So, but we didn't have the internet then, so I didn't even know what I was doing. Right. You just were playing kind of the music that you liked, mm-hmm. that you were influenced yeah, by. We and played you liked Johnny and Cash. Standing by it. Yeah. But in the meantime, we also played Smoke on the Water mm-hmm. and uh, all of the uh, crowd pleasers and what mm-hmm. was. Yeah. yeah. We, so, <laughs> we and I imagine we did it because those songs were easy to play, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is gonna like. Yeah, you need to play that what people are dancing to. But yeah. did you have the well? And I had this experience too, where you would hear something on the radio, and then I had the rec- oh, yeah, the always. tape player, and you would stop it, yep. you record it, and That's then you I would try that. to play mm-hmm. the song and transpose it and everything. Yep. Now you can learn anything lesson wise on YouTube and things, but. Well, and then whatever, yeah. I mean, whatever your parents are listening to is what you're listening to before you can get yourself to the record store. They had some, at the time, they had some, like the Smothers Brothers and Johnny Cash, and um, they had a a show called Midnight Special where they'd have guests on that would do their music. Oh, cool. And I'd always have my recorder and record those. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think now, there's several songs we still do that I learned there, and... um, I never knew who played them. One of them is uh, uh, Don't Cry Blue. Oh, yeah. Played that for many, many, many years and never knew who wrote it. Who is it? It's, I 
think of this Jonathan Edwards. Oh, I think, okay. thinking yeah. back on it because mm-hmm. somebody looked it up after they heard it and, and you're like, who it, plays it's that? It's like you're dancing like, in the meadow. You know, I, I learned it from some show somewhere mm-hmm. before there was even records out. And yeah, well, and there's a lot you, of songs that I play that I only learned from you. Yes, and I mm-hmm. only heard your version of those songs. And when you go back to traditional cowboy music yeah that's how all of those songs were when i'm talking Mm -hmm. to the kids at those school events then i do you are my sunshine with them and talk about how music used to be the way that we would tell stories to each other and then ask them oh do you know you are my sunshine yeah well who'd you learn it from and everyone family member grandma you like this is i learned it from my grandma you Mm -hmm. learned it from so that's kind of a nice lesson a classic example but but i've told you this story before about the the loneliness of the prairie and what people did with music at the time, mm. they only learned from each other. You right. know, that little granary that's above our oh, house there? Yeah. You know, it's it's 12 by... It's small. Maybe 20 by 12, maybe. Yeah. And I remember my old neighbor telling me, yeah, when we built that, we had a dance in there. Can you imagine? They could only dance a like granary. four people I don't at think a you, time. I don't think you'd get 10 people. No, in. you definitely can Somebody played the fiddle and yeah. somebody played guitar mm-hmm. and they had a dance in that. But all of those songs were songs... They probably heard them on the Grand Ole Opry and mm-hmm. radio and those kind of sure. things. The but they didn't have a record, way to record them. Right. They just had to they had, keep them. Someone mm-hmm. would have the musical ear or have the instrument to kind of get that. And yeah. what a thing to have music on the prairie. I mean, the Native Americans, too. Oh, yeah. The way that they, they it just, their own songs, their own and, songs yeah. to celebrate. And it's just such a testament to how powerful and important it is in our lives. Um, I just think we take it for granted now, but it is... So I've been sending you those. Well, that's YouTube. what I was going to say. I think that you, <laughs> that's why you're connecting. So dad's, and I love it. dad's been sending me, okay, what are they called? They are YouTube videos, or I guess it's on Facebook of, so it's foot off the grid is the last one. Um, I have a number of them that I listen to. Foot, F-O-O-T-E off the grid. And it's just videos of people dancing. And they're jam sessions. Jam sessions. So bar band, probably older, yeah. I'm thinking. They're all in their 70s. Okay. Yeah. So the band, because mm-hmm. you don't see the band. All there is is a, is a someone videoing the people dancing to the bar band. Sometimes some of them are jam sessions and some are actually a bar band. There's, okay. there's different ones, but okay. the, the ones are, there's probably 10 people up there playing music. Right. And then... A spattering of people dancing. Dancing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all over 65. Yep. Probably. And they're dancing purely out of joy. Yeah. And they're not good. Nope. <laughs> and, they, and, they're, and they're dressed like... Yeah, like, like your a, grandma. Like they're living in a... Yeah, uh, a, like your neighbor. Senior center, so there's yeah. no... Yep, they're not and they're, flashy. And it's all for the joy of music. Yeah. And there's and a lot of the songs they're playing are those old standards that they mm-hmm. probably heard... They might have heard them when they're little kids on the Grand Ole Opry. And they're bring, and you can tell they're they're having um, moments of uh, remembering when that song was so important yeah. to them, and sort of channeling that version of themselves, even though they might have just had a hip replacement. <laughs> so, so what I'm doing, <laughs> so what I'm doing with Jesse is that every day I send one of these, and they're so bizarre. But what they are they're, is they're, they're bizarre, but they also are they make you warm because yeah. they look like the Legion Club yes. in 1995. They look a lot, like a lot of your audiences are people who read your yeah. They they're they're wholesome. They're just doing. They're not worried about how they look. No. And and one of my sent you was the band was playing Wipeout, yeah. which was a night, late 60s uh, And there's song. a little twist going on. Yeah, and they're mm-hmm. doing. And then one was they were playing. Let's do the twist. Yep. And these. 
75, 80 year old women were do it, twisting out there. As much as they can twist, yep. they were twisting. Yep. And, and, and they it, have their tennis shoes on. Oh yeah. And they're there. This one. If Seeley, it doesn't make you feel good about America. Seely danced to wipe out at the Sherman jam last night with her friend. That's the title of it. See Foot off the grid on Facebook watch. And they're in a high school gym, an old school looking high school gym. I'm going to have to see where this is. And three of the friends, Seely has purple leggings on and applique t-shirt and a white perm and she is dancing to wipe out and this is what dad watches at 9 40 p.m <laughs> and then he sends it to me because <laughs> what's happened with me just so you know i am so tired of the anger and i'm so tired of the meanness and i'm so tired of of judgment that i go back there and i see and I, and well, your show is what i go to when i play with you i say this all the time it reminds me that the world is a good place because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. when when jesse veter comes to town in wherever yeah makoti mm-hmm. um the people come out yeah. and individually they have their they're just not there a lot of them are just enjoying the simple things well, in life and the thing about being in a small town yeah. and being a performer willing like me and and really passionate about it traveling to those small towns yeah they appreciate it absolutely because they don't get something like right. that yep. and they thank you for coming and taking yep. your time out of off they send you home with hot dish then i get hot do you know mm. much potato salad i had this summer <laughs> <laughs> so much potato salad i drove home across and they the always state. ask me uh well so you live uh outside of watford city do you and then know? they ask me if i know somebody yeah. from bowman <laughs> or, <laughs> or williston or whatever or they'll just say they'll ask me and then i'm like go ask my dad he knows and you generally <laughs> Well, it's North Dakota. Do, so, yeah. Yeah, in Stanley kinda, yesterday, yeah. uh, the gym teacher was running my slideshow because we were in the gym. And he afterwards was like, are you Gene Veter's daughter? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about elk hunting out here or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, everyone. Or they'll always say, yeah, I used to hunt mule deer on this ranch by the river. <laughs> and I'll go, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few of them out here. Yeah. yeah, the ranch by the river. like, But that's a, that's kind of the cool, endearing part about being a small town musician. Yeah. And you know when I walk away from those, you know, because you take me along. I almost always walk away feeling better than when I went in there. Yeah. And so, you know, after playing music for 50 years, and now I don't, I, I'm not trying to please anybody. Right. I just want to well, provide a nice it. experience. Mm-hmm. And I walk so, away feeling good about and the And they're world. so forgiving of, yeah. they just want to like you. They yep. want you to feel welcome. They want to tell you their stories, which is my favorite, some of my favorite experiences. Oh, yeah, they'll lock in on you and tell you. A, I I will hear all about one of my favorite uh, experiences, and I hate to say it like a fan experience, but someone who reads my columns. And so we were, um, I can't remember what little town we were in, but it was in an old school gym that also had like the stage up and hardwood floor. They created like a nice atmosphere. They made it all Western in there. And I had just written a column about my hoarding husband and how he saves the batteries off of his drills which everyone's heard that one battery that says bad, do not use. And then I'm like, who saves this? This is just unique to my crazy husband. A man came in with a paper bag, set it in front of me. I opened it and it was a battery that had said bad, do not use. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's listening. He is that person. And then you just see all of these people that are your community in these communities. And you're reminded like, we're kind of all the same here. We're just trying to like, like the guy down the road that you really like. Never Never, these people, and I think America is full of them. Yeah. That people, I'm getting, you know, 
Well, go ahead. That's why it. we're here. Yeah. But, but I mean, they didn't. It's it's like Mr. Tanner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now we're back yeah. to Mr. Tanner. They didn't wake up in the morning saying they had to be the best at nope. everything or that they had to prove somebody. They went to work. They loved their family. Mm-hmm. They 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 tilled the fields. Know or what they're good at. The hardware what their store. mission is. Yeah. And they want to come home and make a good hot dish and mm-hmm. and go to church and do their duties. And I think that music can tell that story and it resonates with somebody's grandma or grandpa and and that we might be forgetting that in this country that most people are really good well and that's who we are yeah we are not the celebrity that we're idolizing on Mm -hmm. instagram or the influencers we are those people in the in-between spaces the guy that's the guy that's that's cleaning up the the concert venue and he has value he has so much value and he has a story and i think and maybe that's that's kind of the goal here with what I try to do and want to do as a musician is to tell those stories and make them... You do it with Boomtown. Yeah. Cl- exalt, Boomtown is a classic song like that. Yeah. Exalt them and and remind people that these this is the fabric of what we're doing here. Yep. I think like a Bruce Springsteen is someone yep. that, you know, telling the story of your town and your reality and yep. the people that make up the... And it's not always simple as that. It's complicated. It's all complicated too. I mean, there's interweavings of humanity that we all make mistakes and screw up and there's tragedy in it and there's and it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and those stories need to be told if you go back to the roots of music bluegrass almost all bluegrass music has a story to it Mm -hmm. and usually somebody dies dies in the the, on the train tracks the the happy music that's always really sad oh right my favorite just listen to playing favorites i pulled out 12 songs and i'm like oh these are all peppy but also very tragic i didn't really realize the circle like the circle everyone finds that such a yeah and it's joyous song and it's about a funeral but it's about life life yep Mm -hmm. life goes on Mm -hmm. but also the old cowboy songs Mm -hmm. They were almost all stories, mm-hmm. like Little Joe the Wrangler. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard those songs, but you know the story of this young guy that comes in a cow camp and and everybody loves him and and he finds his way into this cowboy group. He's just an orphan kid, you know, mm-hmm. and then he gets at the end of it he gets stampeded by the horse oh, and gee. they bury him out on the prairie. Jeez. But that's Little Joe the Wrangler, yeah. and these people sang those songs around the campfire when they're when they're bringing cattle up north right. from Texas. Right. And they learned, there's all kinds of those kinds of... And probably a lot mm-hmm. of variations on the story that come yeah. through, depending yeah. upon where you learned it yeah. and things. Yeah. 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 That um, song, that reminds me of, um, if you ever go out to the circus, what's... Oh, yeah. Uh, Indian one, Cowboy. Indian Cowboy yeah. that I have on playing yeah. favorites. That's a folk song that I learned from you yeah. mm-hmm. as a kid, and I recorded it on the on my playing favorites album, which is kind of a testament to all these songs I grew up listening mm-hmm. to. And that one was a heartbreaking just story about a uh, a tragedy at a circus and it ends so everybody was having a good time yeah and this and this guy came in and and it looked like the the, uh, the elephants were going to knock over the lantern by the hay and and had be a huge tragedy and he steps up and ropes the the horse that's running away that's going to knock down, the lanterns. down the lanterns and, and save the, the elephants big top stampeded him and he died and he died and it's like a little boom da, 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 like it sounds like so and, it, and, and it's kind of like it. uh back to mr tanner mm-hmm. uh, if you ever go out to the circus Think remember of the indian cowboy yeah who saved the big top from flame like he is your just hometown. a person that yeah 
like yeah. hero that quietly you maybe people didn't even know didn't that even know that happened that didn't happened. even know that they averted a huge tragedy right. what a song and what a song to hear as like a seven six-year-old kid like i'll sing it to my girls and sometimes skip the last verse yeah. because it's but um but boy how powerful that is to just tell these snapshots of stories and then how powerful it was for me well you know I'm just lucky that I have a gig like this that I am asked to every <coughs> week or in my life. My job is to recognize what's happening around me mm-hmm. so that I can tell the story of it. That's it. It might be interesting to some people, might not. Some weeks it might land for you and some weeks it might not. But my job, and I'm paid to do it, and it's a task, and I'm so grateful for it every day with a column, is to recognize the sweet spots, the tragic spots, the lessons in everyday things. And some days I get like intimidated by that because if I don't feel like I have anything profound to say, then what am I doing here? Why am I, why do I have this role? There's someone else better for the gig. But then I get reminded from people who are emailing me or talking to me that that's what they want to hear. They want to hear themselves in the stories that I tell or to be reminded of who they are, who they know or what life is really like sometimes we get you know there's way lots of venues and avenues to to consume fantastical stories and to learn about celebrities and a life that you might not lead but to see yourself reflected in someone else's story makes you not feel so alone I think and I think that maybe is um what a gig that is you know well yeah because music and 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 uh, literature you know, I, I, what I like is those stories that can bring out those little things in, like where the, where the crawdad sing. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I read that book, and I was thinking back on that and saw the movie. The value of that was that people could visualize and right. feel what, like, every day waking up in a, yeah, in a swamp, swamp was like, what yeah. the birds sounded like and how important that was. And, and, and whether you like that movie or not or book or not, right. but good writers – Brought you there. Bring you there. And what you do with your writing is remind people that when you woke up this morning, this was a new day and here's how this day rolled out. And that, you know, we have this 20 to 90-year-old window to live our lives. Mm-hmm. And if you take one minute of that for granted, you're really missing some. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. It's hard to do that every day, right? Yeah. Like, and you've, you're living a life that's been gifted back to you. We've yeah. talked about that. I'm way more aware of it than I more used to More aware. Yeah. And, you know, to, I just said this last week with Chad, to be given, your, it's kind of a gift to take things for granted, right? Because it means that you can yeah. and that you were, you're, you know, you were allowed that um, naivete almost of it. But when, and then I also said this when I was going through my health issues too sometimes there's a burden of like oh you went through this and now I have to take every minute and make the yeah. most of it but I also want to feel remind guilty about people, wasting yeah. a, a oh, minute oh geez yeah. I'm supposed to love these kids like every minute even though yeah. they're driving me yeah. absolutely yeah. crazy but I think that's okay and hopefully you know if I'm doing my job correctly I'm reminding people like sometimes it just sucks and it's funny and it's just life and yeah. <laughs> and you true. can be annoyed with it <laughs> Take and the humor out of and it. yeah and like okay we're never you know can't get ourselves to school on time or got stuck in the ditch or like these mm-hmm. little foibles are part of it as well and like let's not let it get to us so much let let's kind of roll with it and laugh about it and um and then also be mad when we need to be mad and sad when we need to be sad and 
live if that, there. I wonder if that has something to do with health care scares because <clears throat> my challenge after, you know, people might not know that I just had some real mm-hmm. Well, they do if they listen to this and read, yeah. But my takeaway is that I, I can't tolerate pettiness and I can't mm-hmm. tolerate people not appreciating even, and I've become a huge patriot because mm-hmm. of it, the the joy and the opportunities we have in this country and this world mm-hmm. right now, the world in the United States is the best it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Our life has never been this easy or this comfortable or this accessible. We've never had this many things, food right. in our in our lifetime. And you only recognize that if you're saying, okay, you don't get to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You're waking up this morning, you might not you might not make the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you go, just let me breathe a breath of, breath of fresh air. Just, and I'm sounding, I mean, this cliche, but it's real. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, so your little battle that you had at work or, mm-hmm. or somebody made you angry, um, you know, you have that perspective saying, just let me do that again. Right. Let me have these. Let petty, me have a taste of these things. Yeah. Let me have. And yeah. I think there's a little bit of conversation now around that kind of privilege too, where you put yourself if you can't see yourself in any other situation, then you lose that compassion for people who would just give anything to have the things that you have. And then maybe let's drop the, you know, HOA issue about the Christmas lights or the lawnmower because boy, there's people that would give anything to have a lawnmower and a lawn. And I saw him across the hall from me, lay there for months at a time and nobody come to visit him. Right. And, you know, I didn't have that. So the joys of that, but, but it goes back to, you know, where we started with this music, everybody has their joys. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tanner did. He's just trying to do his thing. Uh, the, the, the better place to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have value mm-hmm. and we've kind of take that away that this average person who just gets up every morning, loves his spouse and, and, right. and, and tries to feed his family and does all that. That's the joy in and living. And value music in can it. take that yeah. off. Yeah, and I think, well, and that's how I ended the column. Yeah. Like, we we are the only ones who can decide how we're going to share and use our mm-hmm. gifts and what they mean to us and how if you you can wreck it by putting them up against other people's expectations. Yeah. And yeah. Um, if you really look and say, okay, well, I like, well, because I'm born and raised to serial entrepreneurs and I'm one of them too, you know, it's like, does this have to be my livelihood or could this just be something that I love to do? Um, my little sister said something to me once because she, she's a teacher, guidance counselor, stay at home mom now. And she has her chickens and she has her kids and she's right over the hill. And her and I are wired a little bit differently in terms of just the, just philosophy on work and things. And she, just said to me, you know, I'm looking at all these mom influencers and I'm looking at all these hot, this hustle culture. And I'm feeling like, when can it just be okay to just like have a simple life? Can I, I just, I don't want to be the, selling all of <laughs> she this. She must have been listening to her old man because yeah. that's the direction well, I've taken yeah. in my life. But you know, I like to hear that from her because I might fall into the other mentality yeah. where it's like my value is placed on how busy I am. I fell into that for a long yep, time I where, because, because you're a performer and a musician and a business owner and uh, like, okay, I'm not doing my job if I don't do X, Y, and Z you know, like be constantly on the move. And that's also just part of my nature. Alex is saying, 
listen, I just want to be a mom. I want to be a good mom. I don't want to be the mom on Instagram that has 40 million followers. And I don't want to have so much invested into my personal growth that I have like to read a self-help help book every day and feel like I'm not doing my best and feel like devalued and feel like this isn't, you know, like if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, you have to make six meals a day. And When can we just be okay with having, like I'm okay with having a life where I'm raising my kids and I'm not famous. <laughs> it's okay. But, 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 but the sickness part of that does take that right to the top. Yeah. To say, let me walk, let me walk out and get the mail. Yeah. Or let like, me what a play cards thing. with my granddaughter. Yeah. Or uh, I don't have to be in front of everybody. I don't have to just let me feel good. Right. Well, let and that's been a, we've my, both yeah. had that battle in the last, yeah. well, you've been a longer battle, but the idea that, cause I've suffered from chronic pain and I just go every week to help do a, you know, I just do everything to try to feel good that there are days when that's all you want. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to be able to like enjoy my day and not think that I have a headache. And that would be the only thing I'd pray for. And, and then the compassion part comes in and this would be my parents. Yeah. The, you know, they wrote down, oh, you don't have it so bad. What about Johnny across right. the street? Well, well, yeah. I found that in my cancer mm -hmm. situation where I really had a hard time and one of my friends had to kind of slap me out of it. Like, I didn't want to complain about it because mm -hmm. it wasn't in comparison as bad as the woman who lost her life to breast cancer and had little kids or the person yeah. that was That's having a, a brain tumor. So I'm fine. I'm here. They're going to cut me open. It's probably, you know, I could have died but I'm not gonna, and it's going to be fine. And I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But then every once in a while you have to be like, well, actually just because I'm, my suffering isn't at the equatable level as this person over here, like it still sucks and it's still yeah. hard. <laughs> if you're like me, then, then because people were so good to me right, you don't that I don't to. feel like I can get mad at anybody. Right. I so can't, I can't even <laughs> speak my opinion because they said, they were so nice to me. They prayed for you yeah. and they got you through it and they sent you cards. And, and now, now I'm like, okay, then I just need to be nice all oh, the time. I, there's a lot of pressure in being a survivor of like a, being a miracle. And, and, I, and I have the <laughs> unique situation of my best friend, one of my best friends died of what I had yeah. two years previous. And you survived it. So and I so, went through that with him. Yeah. It took him and it didn't take me. Right. So there's, there's, there's a so different thing about that. Yeah. Now, if you can be now go back to being creative about that, those are the emotions that all people have. And if you don't have that, mm -hmm. if you don't have those kind of things, you could never be an artist. Well, right. You know? And to find a way to communicate that, I think that's what music and art mm -hmm. is so important because it transcends. It's not. It's not education. It's not book work. It's not. It's it's transcending, and that communication and bringing not just explaining it but showing it. And making other people feel it and bringing them along. Yeah, maybe I people had told me that they said, "Well, you have a you have a greater purpose. That's why you mm -hmm. lived." Okay, I probably do, it, but I think they were thinking my purpose was to go out and be sure a, 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 a better well, leader, so much bigger pressure. In and that. I think my pressure is to stop people and say, "Wait a minute, what I just said? Do you realize how many good things there are in this world? Yeah. Can we stop talking about maybe?" Maybe that's my that's maybe why I was left here, and maybe that's why you were left to remind people that well, there's you have this timeline. Yeah. Let's hold can, space for that gratitude. Yeah, and I think also like hold space for the gratitude. Be in the real world. Understand what's happening around you, but there 
all of these things can be working at once Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're holding space for gratefulness, for acceptance, Mm -hmm. for awareness, and for compassion with people. That's something I really learned in dealing with a sick dad, Mm -hmm. a sick family member, when the whole world and your whole life was going just perfect, and then the rug was going to get yanked out from under our family, just like that. And you see people sitting at the bedside on TV and thinking like, oh my God, you know, that's Hollywood and then all of a sudden you're like in a terrible movie and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Chad got laid off his job. Well, yeah. now I know what that feels like. We you have cancer. I have cancer. Well, now I know what that feels mm-hmm. like. And now I know what to do for the people in those situations. At least I can take that and know. And with our infertility, it was the same way. I'm not going to keep this to myself now. Again, with the storytelling. If I keep it here... And no more, whoever wants to keep it within them, I'm not judging. But for me, I had to put it out into the world with the hope that, well, also, and I've said this on here before, I wish someone would have, I wish I would have, it would have landed on my ears about uh, what it was like to want children and not be able to have them. Mm-hmm. I knew nobody with that story. If I would have known someone yeah, speaking freely about, about it, then I would have known it would have been a possibility and then I could have gotten through it easier. So then let me tell that story for the next person who didn't get ears on it. And I think all those little, although I would be, it would be nice to like stop having life lessons. <laughs> um, but, but, but that, yeah. no, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Because... <laughs> No, that's a good statement though. Because well, like I sometimes think sometimes you get exhausted by it. My know? mom was really good about that. Yeah. And she, you know, her statement always is there's nothing, there are no givens in this yeah, world. Yeah, that's nothing. so true. Yeah. She said that all the time was mm-hmm. and it was always pretty simple, but it was you wake up in the morning and you make your day the way mm-hmm. you want to make can, it. You can, yeah. You can be a you can wake up this morning and be a grouchy and yep, yeah. Or you can I mean that's a cliche, but still mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple lesson. Well, and she came from such humble, yeah, you know, she was yeah. a daughter of an immigrant and 12 kids. 12 and, kids and her family living uh, in a little house on the yeah. creek. How and, hard could have and should have that been. And, 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 and woke up every morning with an appreciation of her life beyond anything mm-hmm. I could ever match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. And she yeah. didn't have an easy mm-hmm. go of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they mm-hmm. had money coming out of their ears. And she and was, a, she was a Mr. Tanner sitting out in the... Yeah, in the middle of the ranch, that just everybody who saw her loved her, mm-hmm. but she didn't have to be on the big stage. Right, you don't have to be mm-hmm. in the spotlight. The world's necessary. full of them. They're and, still out there. Yeah. yeah, and and maybe we need more of them than we need. Well, I wouldn't say maybe. Like we we need them more than we need the celebrities. You know. Yeah, go sit down, talk to them. Yeah. You do it all the time at your concerts. Mm-hmm. And I get to do it too. Mm-hmm. That guy that's sitting over there that you watched him the whole night just looking at you he doesn't want to come and bother you right i know because all these people are waiting in line right so i can go and sit down next to him and you just go oh man you've lived this life and uh, i I I want to know your story but isn't that wouldn't that be a fun project i always think of that if i had more time and maybe in another season of my life where i could take some of those stories because i get more out of that sometimes yeah. than s- telling my own well yeah. all the time when they bring it back to me and they say this resonated or I have something to tell you because they feel like they know me which they do and then I get to know them and there are some I mean I've written in some of my columns about that if I could just because you only get a snippet of it so then you don't feel like yeah. you can retell but yeah. if you could dig in there are characters and trad oh my gosh there's so much out there in just our small western North Dakota or oh, yeah. state you know, they're out there. and Yeah, because like 
all of those stories, you have in your lifetime a story of a woman who, you know, they were impoverished in Norway. Mm -hmm. So somebody from America said, come here, you can work for me. She comes across the ship at 16 to Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. You know, gets on a boat, gets Ellis, Ellis Island, makes her way to Minnesota, works for a family until she pays off the ticket. Some guy on a railroad comes by, meets her from Norway too. They come out all the way all the from way Norway here. to North Dakota, camp on the side of Bearden Creek, yeah. and uh, raise twelve children. Right, and she and, and she's in my lifetime. I can see her right now. You can yeah. see her right now. I met her. Yeah, that's an epic it's story epic. that happened within your life, and nobody knows about it but her. Right. And then we're the ones left because our family's still here because, and I say this a lot, you know, I'm only here because our ancestors did the thing that they needed to do to stay here. It's not because I was, I'm any sort of excellent person. It's just like by luck and the fact that I'm interested in it, but we're left to tell her story in a Cliff's Notes version of it. So you should start doing Immigrant Eyes by Guy Clark. Oh, that's a good one. Sometimes when I God, look you, in your Immigrant Eyes, yeah. That's eyes. a good one you used to Starting sing. with nothing and working hard all your life. And you had, well, when we were singing when I was a little kid, that's, you have, everyone has so much lately, but. research to do now on all of these great songs. Immigrant Eyes is, who's that? Is that Guy, Guy Clark? Clark? And then um, Mail Order Annie. Mail Order Annie is the other one. I was going to say the that's same thing. That's a good one. And, that, and that's Harry Chapin. If that's people Harry don't know Mail Order Annie. That's a great song. When I saw Harry Chapin, and my connection to oh, Harry yeah, Chapin was... you didn't was, talk about... I wanted he, to ask you about he, seeing um, him. When I was in Grand Forks, living in Grand Forks, I played at a bar called The Windmill. I played every night. Mm-hmm. And um, my closest that I came to Harry Chapin is he came to town. And I was going to... His, I was playing first, and then I was going to go to the concert. And they called me from the Chester Fritz and said his guitar didn't come. Can, oh, that's can was Harry Can use your guitar? And so they couldn't get anybody, and apparently they knew me or whatever. So I remember I, I got done with my set, and I drove out to Chester Fritz with my guitar, and I got there, and he already had one. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I got to sit but right next cool. to him, next to the stage. and, and You did like, watch the concert. And he from- stood in front of the crowd. I saw him a number of times. Okay. But um, he stood and did Mail Order Annie with no guitar. Hmm. I, have you ever seen him perform it? No. He just stands there uh, on the stage with a spotlight on him and sings, sings it a cappella. Oh man! And it, such and, a powerful song. And I keep, and it, and it envisions me of the house. And it's gone now, over on the property next to us, that little mm-hmm. cabin that was out there. Mm-hmm. You know that I always yes, envision that, tiny that little log cabin. And it's like Chris Knight's North Dakota. Yep. That also takes me to that cabin. That, yeah. The Can settlers. you imagine? There's another great storyteller, Chris, Chris Knight. Yeah, yeah, and he's more. Yeah, this he's still performing and touring, and he has. But yeah, North, North Dakota, Dakota is about. You want it? Yeah. And you, yeah. You do that. That's a great that. song. Yeah. Look that up, Chris Knight. And that one's about um, a tragedy, like a a couple living in. It's a North Dakota song. Yeah. yeah. Living in home. Comes home, his time. wife's not there. Doesn't know where she went. Her mare's still there. She uh, got he, lost. He, and... the, the coffee was on, but it was cold. Something happened. Maybe she left him. He looked. The law came out. Couldn't figure it out. And then he found you know, her next, on the next first spring. Warm day. Yeah, yep. found her on the first warm day. Rained, washed the snow away. Went to she went for wood and yeah. lost her way. Oh man! Home. And then if you're not cold after that song, yeah. Yeah. oh man, that's a good one. But I mean, this is what I get chills talking about this because mm-hmm. I get so impassioned about it, and I don't think people take the time. Mm-hmm. And I get a little pro. I get a little problem with 
music today, I'm like an old timer, is that you wrote this song to have a little click in it so that uh, uh, you could make money on it. Mm-hmm. Well, there are two and separate. And the story went away somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah. there are two separate calibers. I think they are. One's you know, entertainment and one is I think they can art. hold yeah. space in the same world, but like that's not what we're talking about here. And I think people who love pop country or pop music, there's they can also appreciate or hopefully you hope that they can appreciate music like this where it tells you know this i had a friend and you know him too and i don't say his name but he he told another friend of mine that he always uh uh, envied me because i would do the music he played in the band too i would do the music that i wanted to play that Mm. that, rather than what the crowd wanted to hear And so I had these, sometimes I'd play a song and it would just be dead. Like, what was that? Because people would only want to hear the songs that they knew of. Right. And then when you get in a bar band, when, remember I told you when you did your bar band, I said you need to do this experience. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. a bar band, but Well, band. yeah, I was in a band. Yeah. Because then you're picking music that will keep people on the dance floor and yeah, it's a whole other buying thing. beer. And then I didn't. It's a different gig. And I'm glad I did it because I didn't know how much I would actually like that to an extent. It's a whole different deal. It's fun. Yeah. It's totally fun. But if you do that, if I did that exclusively, I would wind up burning right out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I've all, always said I've done the music for the storytelling and the yeah. writing. Yeah. But it was fun to be in a band. I mean, it's you a whole other... You have to have that experience. Yeah. And to Plus have you, the, you have to listen to other people. <laughs> they don't well, have to listen to you. You have to listen to that other band. People. Right. If you're doing yeah. solo, you can do it. Oh, yeah. Well, it to. makes you a better musician. Yeah, yeah. It totally wish I would have done it earlier because I would have come out of it as a better player yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot and it was only a short time that I did it. And later on in my life, um, in my 30s, it was when I was in the band. But it was, then we wound up, you know, then they wound up being a good band for my music too. But it's the relationship you have with the music musicians is a whole nother story for another day when you're playing with them. But I always wish that I would have had worked harder on my music. Right. Because I have my friends that are musicians that are, you know, John and Mike would be an example that are so incredibly gifted. And I wonder, and I've been playing as long as they have. Right. But how did they get well, I so think they good. have, and Mike, Mike, when dad talks about Mike, he's a player that's played in dad's band um, forever, and he's Before played with born, me yeah. since I've been playing music. So he still plays um, with me, plays dobro on all, most of my albums and um, guitar. Um, but they have a different mind for it. I don't, I think we're not all, we're not wired the same. And I think that's okay. Like, because they're, they're obsessed with their instrument and honing their craft. Mm-hmm. And I'm obsessed with a different part of it, which is story. the storytelling, the performance, this, you know, so I play my instrument to get that story out there. And then I, I've been fine with relying on other musicians to kind of elevate that experience. But I don't, I'm grateful for having learned to play the guitar because that was the vehicle. And for you know, it. The, 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 the way that you can tell what a good song is though, is if you don't really need all that. If it'll stand, you can just yeah. play your guitar or do the Harry Chapin stand in front of the crowd mm. without instrumentation. Is it still a good song? Right. And mm. then there's always everything that can kind of elevate that experience. And there definitely is, you know, you want to, I want to always be a better guitar player, mm. but that wasn't what I was in it for. If I'm going to sit down to work on it, it's working on honing the story, not my finger picking. Yeah. And I think you're just like kind of, everyone's wired a little bit differently. <coughs> and then I need people like Mike. <laughs> and I life. think I, I think I was learning to say, because even you know, I got kicked out of chorus and <laughs> band in high school. And then you like had a, a fifty-plus year. I did have a reunion where my music teacher said, "How come you were in band or music? Well, you kicked me out." <laughs> 
because I had to go to a rodeo. I'll never forget it. Oh, you and I couldn't make a concert. I wanted to go to a rodeo, and and that was on the weekend where they had a concert, and oh, yeah. I had to get my priorities right. Yeah, and, and the choir. What? Well, I can't even imagine you. Well, I'm the same way. I don't read music very well. It doesn't connect with me that way but I can hear it and sing it and yeah. play it back so yeah that was never a comfortable space for me but my band my bandmates that were in um, high school with me that two of the guys were incredible musicians yeah the bass player and the drummer were like very very good musicians mm-hmm. so I don't know how I wound up even being able to be in the same band as they well were. you're you're the rhythm guitar player and the lead singer in the band but I'm not that good of a singer they were better singers than I am but there's we know that now that there's a lot of phenomenal singers Mm -hmm. but sometimes you don't have to be the best singer to tell the story right there's a charisma or some sort of presence john prine or chris christopherson or they're not the greatest chris knight Mm -hmm. i could name guy clark none of that none of those guys were good singers right they were well they also well they had character in their voice you know there's a character and there's a performance quality that i always felt like i appreciated in live performances that I always tried to take from that you're feeling it you're exuding you're in the moment you're creating a a experience for people if you believe in what you're doing then it can come natural for you you're not putting on a show then you're you're really in it and I think that takes it takes a long time to kind of hone that or you just have it I'm sitting here, <laughs> just so everybody knows, I'm sitting here watching Jessie with her green Crocs. My crock And I thought it was a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, Dad was laughing at this whole, so I, if you think we have a professional setup, let me tell you, we do not. I am in the basement on a 150-year-old table, which also houses my husband's work stack of whatever. There's like a, I see there's a plumbing fitting in here. And then, oh, there's a gymnastics mat and all the kids' stuff, and it's a mess, but we, we're here. So <laughs> this is where we're at. This is maybe someday when we get our house done, I'll have a nice little studio, but probably not. This is just my life. That would just wreck it. It would just, this is whole, but you got the comfortable chair, so. I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to me. I see Edie will probably be off the bus pretty soon. I think that, um, yeah, it's been fun to share uh, the music with you throughout my life. It's been such a, a thing that I hope that I can share with my daughters. It's kind of the through line, a connection for the two of us, and it's really special. And because of you, um, I get to do it. I still play the guitar that you gave me. Someone yeah. just asked me, I want to buy my kid a guitar. She wants to start playing. I'm like, I know right nothing. There. Oh, you got here. You found us. I know nothing. Let me ask my dad what he would buy. <laughs> so I said, so every, every Yeah, and, and I've, I've, I've brought you home multiple guitars, <laughs> and you still stick with I the one. I just want the one, and I even broke it, and it had to be glued back together. And I together. got you the exact same guitar. I only like that one. I know. <laughs> but that's kind of how I am. <laughs> kind of. I'm pretty loyal. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you, Dad, for visiting with thank me. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, love you, bye. There's a Harry Chapin song I grew up listening to on my dad's tape player. Harry Chapin was a Grammy award-winning musician in the 70s and one of the greatest folk songwriters of his time. He created characters in his three to five minute songs that took you along to fall in love or break a heart or in the case of Mr. Tanner, the owner of a dry cleaning store in a small town in Ohio who sang while he worked long hours in his shop. 
to follow the encouragement of his friends and neighbors and use all his savings to try music out full time. In the performance and recording of the song, in the backdrop of the chorus among the instruments, a deep and pure baritone voice emerges as Mr. Tanner himself, singing the chorus to O Holy Night. It's beautiful, the whole thing, and the song takes you to his performance at a concert hall in New York, and if you're listening for the first time, you hope for the outcome of fame and accolades for Mr. Tanner and his beautiful voice, because they said that he should use his gift instead of cleaning coats. But Harry Chapin doesn't deliver that fairy tale. That's what makes him one of the best. Mr. Tanner's debut performance was met with cold reviews. Full-time consideration of another endeavor might be in order. And so Mr. Tanner went back to Dayton, Ohio, and the song ends with him singing to himself late at night while sorting his clothes against the haunting lines of the chorus. But music was his life, it was not his livelihood. And it made him feel so happy, and it made him feel so good. And he sang from his heart, and he sang from his soul. He did not know how well he sang. It just made him whole. This song came back to me recently after a particularly challenging week where I was working to bring a renowned concert pianist to our small community, and the logistics just weren't falling into place the way I had hoped. I was anxious about his arrival and worried about getting the arrangements just right for him. The man has played for every president since Ronald Reagan, and I wanted his time here in our little community to be up to a particular standard, and I felt I was falling short. I was feeling flustered and tired and considering what it would take to retire early when the last song was played and the crowd emerged, wowed and thankful for the opportunity. I watched as the pianist to the president signed autographs and chatted with the community and breathed a kind of sigh of relief you breathe when something challenging comes together in the end. After the last guest headed for home and the pianist made his way to his hotel room, I stuck around the venue to gather our things and wrap up, always the last to leave. Then from the empty hallways of the big school, I heard the trumpets, violins, and high-pitched guitars of a mariachi band echo from small speakers and bounce off the concrete walls. Unexpectedly, a big, beautiful baritone voice joined in with the recorded singer, filling the dark school with life again and reminding me in the best way that at 10 p.m. the next shift had begun. I stopped on my tired feet to listen from behind the wall for a moment, not wanting to disturb or embarrass that voice, not wanting him to stop. This man wasn't singing for the crowd that had just dispersed, or on a big stage, or for the president, or on YouTube to be available for the masses. He was singing for himself, because it made him feel so happy, and it made him feel so good. And what I heard was filled with so much joy and exultation, it turned my mood and immediately reminded me that at the core of it all, what really matters here, these gifts we're given and how we use them, it's up to us and us only. I turned the corner and the man realized, like me, that he wasn't alone. He smiled and turned the music down. I told him he made my night and please, please ignore me now and keep singing. And then I made my way home in the dark with the music turned up, singing along. If you ever go out to the circus Where the Wallanders walk on the wild I'll tell you a tale to remember When the white horse's leap rings a fire It was a cold night in Oklahoma And the show was about to begin And the animals they were all rest 
restless When the star horse she broke from her pen Now she was a mare of high spirit Just like a girl on a Saturday night And she is kicking and bucking past the men Who were brushing the elephants lying on their sides And next to the tent sat some lanterns They were dangerously close to the hay And that mare headed straight for those lanterns Some fool had put there by mistake Then up stepped that Indian cowboy His lasso went whirling through the air In the full dead middle of danger He rode that runaway mare Then the elephants raised up their trumpets And then two of them broke from their chains Stampeded that Indian cowboy Who had saved the big top from flames So if you ever go out to the circus Where the Wallenders walk on the white Just remember that Indian cowboy When the white horse's leap rings a fire Thank you for listening to this week's Stories from the Ranch. If you want more content, you can follow me on Instagram at Veter or Facebook at Veter Ranch. If you want more information about my music, you want to download it or hear more, you can find that at jessevetermusic.com or anywhere where you listen to music. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.